announcements, we'll be having lunch following this service, and then after lunch we'll have an afternoon service. Let me just mention there will be a brief informational meeting after the afternoon service for members only. So an informational will be brief after the afternoon service for members only. Wednesday night, we will be meeting on Zoom for a prayer meeting. would love to have you come and join us. Gather together to pray. Wednesday at 7. So keep that in mind. There's an officer's meeting on Saturday. There's the final financial report on the back table for 2022. So if you see that and have a question about that, please see one of the deacons. And then we're planning our annual business meeting for the church on February the 19th uh, after, misspelled after there, after the afternoon service. So uh, keep that in mind. Keep those announcements in mind. As I look out, I see that we do have some visitors with us, and we're delighted to have you among us. And if you haven't done so yet, before you leave, please sign our guest book, which is located there at the back door. All right. So I believe that's all the announcements that I have. Now let us give ourselves to the worship of our God. The Word of God says in Psalm 46 and verse 10, these words, Be still and know that I am God. He he asks us basically to put down our weapons of war and stand in awe of who He is, of His mighty power. We remember He is God. He is the sovereign and faithful, the omnipotent, the never-failing God. Be still and know that I am God. Let's take a minute or two to just to prepare our hearts to meet with God. Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from Psalm 91. It's a psalm in which we are reminded of the faithfulness of God. He is the one who we can call on in our day of trouble, and He will certainly answer us. We will sing this psalm together. We will sing it to the tune of Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. If you need the music, it's on the Trinity hymn book on 432, but let us stand together and call one another to worship with the singing of this song.
our hymns of grace, turning to 136, hymns of grace, 136. Oh, for a thousand tongues to be able to sing my great Redeemer's praise. 136, hymns of grace. bow with me in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you, Father, for your blood and for the power that it holds. We thank you, Father, that you have broken the power of sin. Thank you, Father, that you have overcome death. And we thank you, Father, that we can be called your children because of what your Son has done. So, Father, we do pray that you would come and meet with us today. Pray that you would open the eyes of the blind. And pray, Father, that your word would penetrate to hearts. Pray that each of us, Lord, may feel your presence today and desire to proclaim your goodness. Father, we pray that you would be with each part of our service. Pray that as your word is read and as your word is preached and as your name as we sing songs sing hymns father we pray that your name might be honored and glorified pray that you'd be with those who cannot be with us pray that you would draw near to them pray father that uh, they may even be able to hear your word as it is preached and uh, it might be a benefit to them in christ's name we pray amen Now take your Trinity hymn books and turn to hymn 443. 
One of the blessings that comes from knowing Christ is we're adopted into a new family. And we are now, even as Mr. Perry has mentioned in his prayer, the children of God, the sons of God, and how blessed we are to be so. And we sing about that reality here in Trinity 443. I'll ask Rachel if you'll play it through once and then we will sing it together. As you've probably noticed in our bulletin today, our consecutive reading is found in Luke chapter 6. If you would turn there, please, Luke chapter 6. Those of you who were able to be with us in Sunday school will see a common theme as uh, the Pharisees once again are going to uh, be questioning Christ and his motives and his authority. Uh, We'll also be able to um, see other events that are taking place and uh, have the words of sermons that Christ preached. Luke 6. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answered them, said, 
Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he went that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might have an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer with God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, And Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, whom came to hear him and be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed, and the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in the day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did they their fathers to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. For to him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not hold them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also 
do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For sinners do the same. And if you, ten- and if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemy, do good, and lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running all and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rocks. And when the flood rose, the streams beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like the man who built a house on the earth without foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. This morning as we seek our God together again in prayer, we especially want to remember the Reformed Baptist Church in Tama, Iowa with Pastor Rendell. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in Heaven, we were reminded in the previous hour of the superiority of Scriptures. Father, we pray that we would be a people who love the Word of God and that by Your grace and through the work of Your Spirit, we would be a people 
that would be obedient to the Word of God in every area of our lives. We heard this morning in the reading of your words, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? We pray that, Father, if any of us are guilty of such a disposition, where we confess that you are Lord, and yet there are areas in our lives in which disobedience shines forth, may we be quick to acknowledge that as sin, and may we be quick to confess it. So that as we say, Lord, Lord, it may be said that we are following you. You are our master, and we need to be obedient to all the directives in the Word of God. And so, Father, we pray that this morning as we come to hear the Word of God, that the Spirit of God would be working in our midst, giving us understanding of that Word, exposing our sin, encouraging us with regard to the areas in which we're living as we ought. And so, Father, we pray that you would not leave us alone in this hour, but by the Word and with your Spirit, that there would truly be a sense that God is in this place. And God has spoken to us from his Word. And we would be obedient. Father, we pray that every part of the worship service would bring glory to your name that you would help us to continue to sing praises to our great God, that he might be exalted, that you would help us to take heed to the word of God that's been read to us and soon will be preached to us. That Father, even as we pray together in this worship service, it is an acknowledgement of our dependence upon you for all things, including helping us worship as we ought. And then, Father, may our giving be just a reflection of how you have blessed and given to us. And may the portion we give back to you be used for the advancement of your kingdom. And that which we now pray for ourselves, we pray that as the word of God goes forth in various churches throughout Lenawee County and around the world, that you would bless and use it. But we pray especially this morning for your people there in Tama, Iowa. And Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to intercede on their behalf. We're thankful for the fellowship that we can have together because of the common bond we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, how we pray that you would be pleased to add to their numbers in days to come. We pray that their outreach, whether it be in a children's Bible club or in the various nursing homes that they're involved in, that they would be means that you would use to bring people in, to hear the gospel, and to see people added to the kingdom of God and then added to their assembly. We pray for Pastor Endell, that you would watch over him and help him to diligently keep his own heart. And may he faithfully shepherd and oversee the flock of God there. But we know that one of his ongoing need is for other elders. And so, Father, we pray that you would either bring in or raise up men there in that assembly who would be able to come along beside him. We thank you for the one potential that he mentioned in his recent letter. 
and pray that they might in days to come see a plurality of elders for the good of that congregation. Though again, Father, we pray that you would draw near to us, take your word, make it effective. We can only plant and water the seed, but would you come and give an increase as we ask these things in your son's blessed name. Amen. Now before we come to hear the word of God, take your hymns of grace once again, turning to 389, hymns of grace, 389, all I have is Christ. Let us stand together as we sing. Take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. For those of you who are visiting with us, we have been journeying together for quite some time 
through this book of Deuteronomy. And this morning we come to chapter 22. We'll be again looking here in a few moments, starting at verse 13. I would confess to you this morning that this is not a passage of Scripture that I would naturally run to and say I'm going to preach that this coming Lord's Day. But if, as we do, believe in expository preaching, preaching through the Word of God, you come to text that, as my wife said this morning, we were discussing the passage yesterday, and she this morning looked over and said, this is a hard passage, to which I agreed. But here we are. It is the Word of God, and I pray that God would use it for our good and for His glory. Before we actually look at this passage of Scripture, I want to remind you of a few things. I want to remind you of the word of the writer of Hebrews when he makes it very clear that one of the ways in which the people of God can bring offerings to Him that are pleasing and acceptable in His sight is in the area of marriage. In the area of marriage, he says there in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 4, marriage is to be held in honor among all. That word honor points to that which is costly, that which is valuable, that which is to be held in high esteem. When it comes to our marriages, God says those are one of the things that should be treasured, considered precious by each one of us. It's, it's the same term, that word honor or precious or held in high esteem, is the same word that the Apostle Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. When Peter is writing about the redemption of the children of God, he states that the believer's redemption came through, and here's our word, the precious blood, the blood of Christ. In other words, what I'm saying is, in the same way that we highly esteem the blood of Christ, so we should highly esteem marriage. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say in this verse that one of the ways in which we highly esteem marriage is not to defile the marriage bed. If you treasure and highly esteem marriage, then you will not defile the marriage bed. And the marriage bed is a euphemism for the sexual relationship of a married couple. It is God's design that such an intimate relationship only exists in the boundaries that He has set up 
And those boundaries are in a marriage between a man and a woman. The only place where that physical intimacy is to be known is in the marriage. You might recall when God created man and woman, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, we read these words, they became one flesh. And at the most elementary level, that is referring to the sexual relations, the the intimacy that is wonderful and, and righteous in marriage. Remember, when God created Adam and Eve, they were in a state of innocence. They were perfect. There was no sin. And it was in that position that He said He made them one flesh. They dwelt together with that intimacy. And God said concerning all that He had created, including the man and the woman, it is very good. It is righteous. It is holy. And that's the boundary He has set up for each one of us. It is an act to be engaged in only in marriage. The marriage bed is to be undefiled. And this activity is profaned when it is participated in outside the boundaries that God has set up. To engage in this activity outside of God's boundaries is to take that which God declares to be good, holy, righteous, and defile it. That note needs to be sounded in our day and in our culture. God takes such behavior seriously. Because He goes on in that Hebrews text, marriage is to be held in honor above all, among all. He goes on to say the marriage bed is to be undefiled. And then He ends with these words, fornicators, and adulterers, God will judge. Now it is this very concern that Moses addresses with the people of God here in Deuteronomy chapter 22. We find ourselves, you might recall, we find ourselves with Moses giving a more detailed explanation as to what it means to obey the seventh commandment. And the seventh commandment is this, Thou shalt not commit 
adultery. So Moses is dealing with that topic here in our passage this morning. When Moses says, thou shalt not commit adultery, this commandment is primarily used in regard to sexual unfaithfulness committed in the marriage covenant. The thought is of a person violating those boundaries God has placed over the marital relationships. And the commandment's aim is, yes, personal purity, but its aim's also at the sanctity of marriage and especially the intimacy that exists between a husband and a wife. That's what this commandment is directed at. And so in our passage this morning, starting in verse 13 and going through verse 30, we have set before us six scenarios. Six scenarios that violate and profane the marriage bed. And Moses sets this before his people, for he wants them to be a holy and godly nation. These six scenarios are not intended to cover all relevant details. Rather, they capture the heart of the matter, challenging the hearers to be a pure and holy people and to sanctify the marriage bed. He's dealing with the sanctity of marriage and the importance of sexual purity within life itself. And so we will consider these six scenarios. We will consider them briefly. At the end, I'll, I'll give you what I believe is the overarching theme, but, but I want you to notice them with me. And the first scenario is the longest scenario. It starts in verse 13, and it goes down through verse 21. And here, I think Moses is teaching us that this treasured relationship should be marked by charity, love, and kindness. This relationship should be marked by charity, love, and kindness. Let me, let me just read through it and then say a few words about it, starting in verse 13. If a man takes a wife and goes into her and then turns against her and charges her with shameful deeds and publicly defames her and says, I took this woman, but when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin. And then the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders in the city at, of the city at the gate. And the girl's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man for a wife, but he turned against her. And behold, he has charged her with a shameful deed, saying, He did not find your daughter a virgin. But this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. 
and they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city. So the elders of the city shall take the man, chastise him, and they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give it to the girl's father because he publicly defamed a virgin of Israel. And she shall remain his wife and he cannot divorce her all his days. But if this charge is true, that the girl was not found a virgin, then they shall bring out the girl to the doorway of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death, because she had committed an act of folly in Israel by playing the harlot in her father's house. And thus you shall purge the evil from among you. So, so here in this scenario, we have two events. There's a man who takes a woman to be his wife. And having taken the woman to be his wife, he begins to question some things. And we read that, that he mistreats her. He, he begins saying things against her. We read here that he mistreats her, and that's, that's not so much of an emotional behavior as it is a practical behavior. And he begins, we might say it this way in our day and age, he begins to abuse her. Many of your texts will say he hates her. And his reaction is to be bring false accusations towards her. Now notice, who has to defend her? It's her parents, her father and her mother. Again, you got, you, we must think back to this culture. Oftentimes, a, a woman in the home, a daughter, would be given to a man, but the, the, the man would pay a bride pot price in order to take the daughter. Now, now this wasn't a way in which he could bribe the father to give him his daughter. It, it was a matter of, in many houses, you, you raise a daughter, and about the time she gets to the age where she could be productive in the home, maybe being beneficial in, in, in bringing in profit to the home, some young man comes along and says, I want to take her. And the father recognizes, well, if, you, if she leaves the home, all this work we've put into her to make her an industrious young woman, we're going to lose out on. And so the man would pay the father a dowry, which was usually around 50 shekels. And then the daughter would leave the home. And, and that's what's going on here. This man has paid the bride price. And now he says, I've come to realize she's not what she said she was. And she's not a virgin. And they call for the elders. And the elders meet them at the city gates. And evidence is shown that, yes, she is a virgin. And really what you're doing is abusing this young lady with your false accusations against her. And the punishment for that was both physical, 
and financial. They, they chastise him. Perhaps they beat him. And he has to repay the father, not just the 50 shekels, but now has to pay him 100 shekels because of his false accusation and his verbal abuse against his wife. Now, you may have all kinds of questions. You know, what does that look like? How did that happen? And, and we're not told in great detail concerning these things. But, but there are principles that we ought to glean from in, in our own marriages. Because the other, the other event that took place is, it's true that, that this young lady was not a virgin. That, that the accusation that he found out she wasn't a virgin is true. How did it, how do they, I don't know how they know. And here we're told that the young lady who has misled her husband and perhaps even her parents will be taken out and stoned. Wow. You may be sitting here saying, that, that's sort of harsh, isn't it? That, that's sort of severe. Can you imagine if, if we took out everybody who deceived their mate and stoned them, what that would look like? Let me say this, because we'll read it again later on with regard to the stoning of, of the evil person. Let me say this. Number one, it was one of the options. It was one of the options. Did they always take them out and stone them? No. Do we have any record of anyone who's committed adultery or fornication in the Word of God that was taken out and stoned? No. Not in the Word of God. You got men like David? No. But here's what I want to get across. Even though there are some unanswered questions, God takes this relationship very seriously. And the evil that often pops up in such a relationship, God takes seriously. So may none of us take an attitude of, it's just another squabble. It's not. Our marriages, and, 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 and here we have these two individuals and you step back and and you say to yourself, wow, the guy hates her? He mistreats her? How sad is that? Why? Because God says, you know what? In this marriage, as a husband, I'm to love my wife as Christ loves the church. When, when others see my relationship to my wife, when my children were growing up in my home, and they say the relationship I have with my wife, how I speak to her, how I treat her, is she that treasure that God has given to me? 
My children learn also not only that dad loves mom, but my children also learn how Christ loves the church as they watch my example. Peter tells us, Husbands, dwell with your wife according to understanding. You're to dwell with her, recognizing that she's the weaker vessel. That's the Word of God. She is the weaker vessel. And you're there to build her up, to treasure her, and to love her. And dear wives, you're to love your husbands. Paul tells Titus to tell the older women to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. I've heard men say that the Bible says husbands are to love their wives, but nowhere in the Scripture does it tell the wife to love their husbands. I don't know who said that, but I got a feeling it's a woman who didn't want to love her husband. Because Paul's told, you teach, you older women, teach the younger how to love their husband. This union between a man and a woman is a wonderful gift that God has given to us. And our home should be marked by love. By warmth. By kindness. And if my relationship to my wife or or my relationship to my husband is not like that, we ought not to be indifferent because God's not indifferent. God takes it very seriously. And, And where there is this abuse where there is this unkindness, where there is this mistreatment of one another, we are violating God's command not to commit adultery. We're defiling the marriage bed. And you may say, why is that so important? Well, because God says it's important. So this treasured relationship should be marked by clarity. And again, I'll just point out, that was the longest one. So don't get too concerned because we've got five more to go. Secondly, this treasured relationship should be marked by fidelity, faithfulness. Faithfulness. It's it's clearly a... Uh, a more clear scenario than the first one was. It's just found in verse 22. If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lays with the woman and the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge this evil from Israel. Here's just a clear case of adultery. A man lying with another man's wife. The man who is found to be lying with another man's wife is guilty of adultery. And the woman is also guilty. 
and there to be shown no mercy. And again, what do you read? Purge this evil from Israel. When a man commits adultery, he's breaking a trust. He's breaking a covenant that he's made with God and this woman or this man. God places a high premium on faithfulness. Keeping that which you have promised. We live in a time when such faithfulness is thought very little of. Isn't it amazing? Some of us, most of us, I think, have been married about the same length of time. And I don't know about you. I think, Dan and Joe, you might be the oldest married couple. It's at 50 years. Maybe somebody's got them beat. Ken and Janet, I don't know if you do or not, but okay. Do I hear 52, 53? No. See, these two make me feel like a newlywed. I've only been married 44. All right. And isn't it amazing when you talk to people today and you say, how long have you guys been married? And you say, 44 years. And Wow! How, how do you do that? Well, my answer is, I married up. <laughs> I don't know what her answer is, but, you know, we had a promise, a commitment. Has it always been easy? No, it hadn't. Been challenged along? Yes, there have. Did the honeymoon last forever? (laughs) There were days when the honeymoon was long gone. But it's a promise. It's a commitment. Faithfulness. Thirdly, this treasured relationship should be marked by purity. Purity. Verses 23 and 24. If there's a girl who's a virgin engaged to a man and another man finds her in the city and she lies with her, and he lies with, and, and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out of the, to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Here's a young lady who, who's engaged, and again, engagement meant so much more. It was a betrothal. It was almost as good as married. Remember, Joseph Joseph was going to put Mary away privately and not make a spectacle of her because she thought he'd, she had been with another man because she was with child. And so here's an engaged girl, and she meets up with a, a, another guy. And the two of them lie together. It seems to be, from what we read here, they're in the city and, and they meet up. And, and, and we might say in our day and age, it was consensual. You ever hear that term? It's consensual. So who does it hurt? Both 
are guilty of immorality. But we love each other. When I'm around him, oh, my heart just... When I see her, oh man, I tingle all over. And though he may not say it, he thinks, I want to get my hands all over her. And she doesn't mind. It's okay. And God says, they're both to die so that you can purge this evil from your midst. The death penalty again means this sin is serious. And it's serious enough that it could mean the death penalty. It could. All according to the judgment of the judge and even the offended spouse. But here we have it. Purge this evil from your midst. Young people, such activity outside of marriage is sin and will be judged no matter how you feel. It is wrong. Fourthly, this treasured relationship should be void of cruelty. Void of cruelty. And here we have a heinous act Upon a woman, it is rape. Verse 25 to 27. But if in the field the man finds the girl who is engaged and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lies with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the girl. There is no sin in the girl worthy of death. For just as a man rises against his neighbor and the murders and murders him so is this case and when he found her in a field the engaged girl cried out but there was no one to save her do you notice the different places the first girl was in the city i think it's it's saying that that if she cried out someone would help, help hear her this girl is, is in a secluded place. And, and this man forces himself upon her. He violates her violently. He abuses her. And it's wrong. And, and, and such activity is almost commonplace. We, we listen to the TV and, and the news and we hear you know, rape is on the rise. It's an evil that must be purged from our city. And then fifthly, this treasured relationship is void of carnality. Here's a clear case of fornication starting in verse 28. If a man finds a girl who's a virgin, who is not engaged and seizes her and lies with her, and, and that word seizes isn't one taken by force. It's, it's, he just takes her along with him. The term's used here. But he seizes her, takes her, and lies with her. And they are discovered. 
Then the man who lays with her shall give the girl's father 50 shekels of silver, and she shall become his wife, and because he has violated her, he cannot divorce her all of his days. Wow. You see why my wife said, this is a hard passage. I mean, what's being said is here's a couple that just satisfying their own appetites Go to bed together. You know, you know what this is in our vernacular. It's a, it's a one-night stand. It's a one-night stand. And here the Bible says, when you engage in this activity, you better be shouldering the responsibility as though you were married. In God's sight, you two have become one flesh. We'll go look at it in a minute, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, isn't what Paul teaches? If a man goes and lies with a prostitute, the two of them become one flesh in his sight. And I, and I think one of the lessons, though there may be many questions that arise out of this, does she have to marry him? What if she doesn't want to marry him? And and, and, and no divorce and so forth. What, what does all that mean? But, but at least this much comes from this, this, this scenario, and that is physical intimacy must always be kept joined to marriage. To marriage. And then sixthly, this treasured relationship should be void of debauchery of shame. For here in verse 30, we read of a forbidden union. It's something that even the church at Corinth had to deal with. If a man shall take his father's wife so that he will uncover his father's skirt. What does all that mean? It means that there's something... There's, there's something shameful about this. Now, there are those commentaries that believe it has to do with incest. And there are those who believe that this, this woman is his father's widow. He's died. And now the son takes the father's widow to himself. Either way, it was an activity that was declared shameful. Wrong. And a violation of the seventh commandment. So here are these six scenarios dealing with physical intimacy between a man and a woman. So what do we glean from all this? Well, one of the themes that, that runs through all this and, and again, you may have a hundred questions as to how all this transpired. And if you ask me all 100 questions, my answer for many of them will be, I don't know. But, but here is the theme that runs through them all. It's this. Listen. Sexual immorality 
is no small matter in the sight of God. Sexual immorality is no small matter in the sight of God. We've got to learn this lesson. It is all around us. You you can't even turn on what you might call a decent television show and find yourself sucked into that show only by and by to find Sally and Bill in bed together having never been married. It's all around us. We're living in a time and in a culture in which you can pick up one of these things and push a button and see it all. All by yourself. And you think to yourself, nobody knows until you find yourself so caught up in it, so addicted to it, you can't pull away from it. And it's ruined homes, it's ruined families. Parents, you need to be teaching your children this reality. You need to remind them of these things. There's only one way. And and, and the intimate relationship is not a sinful thing. It's not an embarrassing thing. It is a righteous, good, and wonderful thing in the boundaries that God has set. And anything outside those boundaries is an evil that must be purged from you. And someone may say, well, Pastor, that's the Old Testament. Well, my friends, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I won't give a whole lot of commentary to this. Let me just read it. I will give a brief word or two, but starting at verse 9. For do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you've been washed. But you've been sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, 
and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise up through His power. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take away the member of Christ and make it make them a member of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So now what? Flee in morality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. There's something unique about immorality. And he says, you've sinned even against your own body. You've taken that which should be the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you've polluted it. You've polluted it. And so we're reminded here that such activity, this, you may, I can imagine somebody saying, I mean, I'm a little concerned. I'm not, well, I'm not even a little concerned. But, but I mean, if this goes on Facebook, somebody could edit some of these things. Because we're not supposed to talk like this anymore. And if somebody says, Pastor Walden, you're just prudish. You know, I mean, you're just stuck way back in time. You need to get with the days. My friends, these are not my words. Your controversy is not with me. Your controversy is with God. For He said these things. He mentions them. The Scripture's clear that sexual intimacy is the, as one man said, the soul-binding right of marriage. And those who say, well, that's my own personal business. My sexual behavior is a private matter. Dear friends, it's rarely a private matter. It will affect your family. It will affect your community. And it's even affected the church. But is there hope? There is hope. Even with what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 16, notice what he says. He says there in verse 11, these words, Such were some of you. Some of us would say, I'm in that number. I I, I live this way. I I behave this way. I've done these things. But Paul says, it's not there anymore. Why? Because... You, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, 
but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. i got to tell you, as much as I wrestled through this passage and considered these things and knew that for some people with sensitive consciences, some of their behavior in the past and things they've done could could bring them down and lead them to depression. But my friends, I can tell you this. There is no sin beyond the grace of God. There is no sin that He can't forgive. And He stands ready this morning to forgive all those who confess He stands ready to remove your sins as far as the east is from the west when you come to Him in faith. That's the good news. There is hope. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm talking to someone, some man, some woman, and and, and you feel the weight of this. You know it's an ongoing struggle in your life. And you're wondering, how can these bonds ever be broken? I've tried the various programs. I've done this. And I'm still addicted to these things. I still feel I need to gratify my fleshly appetites. What hope is there? And my friends, I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is that hope. By turning to Him. Looking to Him by faith. Does that mean that won't be a, oh, there'll still be a struggle at time? But he's there to help. He's given his spirit to guide us and to direct us. And so we come to him, and he stands ready to forgive. I don't have to continue to wallow in that shameful act. God does forgive. Does that mean, okay, then God forgives? I heard this too. Well, I've been forgiven by God, so it really doesn't matter what I do. Oh, my friends, you've made the grace of God to be silly. Because when God gets a hold of a man's heart, He radically changes him from what he once was. And it's the grace of God that even teaches us how to say no to ungodliness. But I want to end with that reality, my friend. There is hope and there is forgiveness. Don't you walk out of here in despair or don't you walk out of here depressed. God stands ready with open arms to receive all who come to Him. And even for those of us who are believers who still battle with this and struggle with this, God says He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins as we confess them. Is it a hard sermon? Yeah. <laughs> when I first began to read over it, I thought, well, I wonder if anybody would notice if I simply skipped over verses 13 to 30 and just went to chapter 23. Anybody know? You know who would notice? But it's the Word of God. And I must be faithful to that Word. And it's a note that needs to be sounded in our day. I haven't declared this note a great deal, but it needs to be sounded. The relationship of intimacy is a wonderful, godly, holy, righteous thing in the boundaries of marriage. Anything outside 
God calls evil. May God help us to take heed. Let's pray. Father, we we give You thanks for Your Word. We thank You that You have not left us to ourselves, but You've given us Your Word whereby we ought to live. And Father, as we live in a society in which evil is all around us, how we pray that You would help us to be diligent, to keep our own hearts above everything else. Father, there's not a, there's not a single person here who's exempt from falling into some of these categories wherein we break the seventh commandment. There's not a one of us that can stand up and say, that will never happen to me. If any man knows his own heart, he knows how vulnerable he is. And therefore, Father, we pray that we might be diligent in keeping our hearts above everything else. Father, we pray for our young people that these things would be, be branded on their consciences and on their hearts so that when that temptation comes, they will seek to forsake it and do that which is right and pleasing in Your sight. Father, we pray for our marriages that we would love one another that we would treasure this gift that You've given to us. And that You would bless those efforts for the glory of Your own name. And so, Spirit of God, we pray that You would come and work in hearts and lives as only You can do. May we examine the Scriptures to see if these things be so. And if they're so, Father, may we walk by them. Help us, we pray as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, take your Trinity hymn book, I've lost my sheet, and turn to 393. 393, it's the invitation, the free offer of the Gospel. Come ye sinner, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. Well, may that be an invitation for us to come to Christ. 393 Trinity Hymn Book. Let's stand together as we sing.
find myself very thankful for the grace of God. Very thankful for his forgiveness. And I don't want anybody to leave here or the past history or anything like that forgetting God is a God of grace. You're welcome to stay and have lunch with us and then following lunch we'll have an afternoon service about 1.45, a brief informational meeting after the afternoon service, members only, so if you have some little ones, try to figure out what you can do with them, what that looks like. All right, you are dismissed.